Welcome to the Impact Church Aurora podcast. We pray that this week's message encourages you, engages you, and equips you to make an impact in the world around you. Now, get ready to receive the Word of God. Romans chapter 12 is where I want to start this afternoon. How many of you give me about 15 minutes? How many give me about 15? Okay, I got one. Thank you, sir. How many give me a little more than that? How many give me a little more than 15? Okay. How many really don't mind? It's cold outside. The roads are bad. and The, the bears aren't playing. And it's, it's Pro Bowl Sunday. Nobody cares. Come on. Yeah, let's go. Take all the time you need. Bless God. Okay. Thank you. I just might. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. I believe this is the NIV. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Everyone say transformed. Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformed. Transformation is possible. But biblically, it comes through changing your thoughts, okay, the way you think. We are transformed by the renewing of our mind. And I love how this finishes. Then you will be able to discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Anybody been praying that this year? Lord, I want to know what your good, perfect, and pleasing will is for my life. Anyone praying that in 2019? At least praying over your children or over over the future of someone you love. Lord, I want them to know your good, perfect, and pleasing will. To know these things, there's a natural flow and process that must happen. We must first allow our minds to be renewed and therefore, then our outlook is transformed. And I begin to understand things that are di- differently because I don't conform to the ways of this world, to the patterns and lifestyle of this world. If I can just find a, a young person under the age of 20 that just refuses to act like everyone else around them, that, that refuses to give in to the temptation like everyone else does. It says, I, I see what they're doing. I know how they're acting. I know where they're going, but that isn't for me. I will not conform to the ways of this world. Instead, God's got a perfect plan for my life, and I refuse to lose out on what God has for me. Anybody over the age of 20 that's still saying the same thing? God, you got a perfect plan for my life. I'll never find it if I keep conforming my ways to that of this world. I must allow my mind to be renewed on a daily basis. That's what transforms everything about my life and my future so that I can know what the good, pleasing, perfect will of God is for my life. Some say it's all about the mind. It's all about the mind. See, if I was the devil, I'd do everything I could. To mess with your head. I would keep you worried, confused, anxious, depressed. If I was the devil, I would do everything I could to just manipulate every every situation, every decision that you're making so that you think God isn't really for you. God doesn't really have good things for you. If I I was the devil, I I would literally do everything that I could to keep you operating out of your emotions and not out of your head. I preached this all last week, but some of you have had an emotional week. Still making decisions based on the heart. When you forget to realize the whole battle that we are in is a battle for your minds. Your heart is going to deceive you no matter what. The enemy knows that. He's not messing with your heart. He's going after your thought life, your thinking, how you view and your vision, how you see the world. Let me, let me just try something for a second. Pastor Tyrus, can I borrow you for a moment, sir? 
Let's give it up for Pastor Tyrus. Woo! Come here, sir. You a handsome man. Look at this. Look at this strong man. Pastor, you would say you're probably what about uh, buck seventy five, maybe or so. Yeah. Give or take. Give or take. Give or take. All right. All right. Miss Tacy, can I borrow you for a moment? I would say you're probably like one fifteen. I won't ask because I don't. I don't want to be. I don't want to be bogus. Can you stand right here? Here's what I want to show you. If I was the enemy. I don't care how big you are. I don't care how small you are. This is something that Elder Welton taught me years ago. It doesn't matter your size. It matters whether or not I can get in your head. So it doesn't matter that I'm, a, I'm literally probably 160 pounds. It doesn't matter that you got size on me. Okay? If I can get in your head and make you believe things about yourself that aren't true, it doesn't matter how big you are. I'm going to take you down every time. It doesn't matter that I'm bigger than you. It doesn't matter that, that, that I, I might have more than you or that I might know more than you. It, it does not matter what I have about myself. What matters ultimately is no matter how I talk to you, how I speak down to you, how I tell you you have no future, how I say, woman, you do what I say, you go where I tell you to go, you dress how I tell you to dress. It does not matter how I talk to you if in your mind you say, I refuse to listen to those lies. You've got to know, no matter what my physical size may be, the enemy's coming after my mind. And just like Elder Welton taught me, though he was smaller and not as fast and couldn't really shoot the ball, okay? <laughs> when he got in your head, he was the greatest shooter. He was the fastest runner. He could, make, he could dunk on you at five foot two. It did not matter. Thank you both. Thank you. The point is just simply this. I don't care how they are talking about you. I don't care if you married him and he's still treating you like you're less than. Until you make up your mind, I refuse to be spoken to like this. I refuse to be treated this way. I refuse to be suppressed and oppressed. I refuse. Don't you mess with my mind anymore. One day, the living legend Jonathan Becker got it in his head that he was taller, he was stronger, and he could shoot better than Elder Welton. Until that day came, he was not the legend. But he crossed over in the legendary status just like you can today when you realize it doesn't matter how big or ugly the enemy looks. It doesn't matter what he says about you, what he tries to convince you to believe. When you rise up and you realize there's something greater on the inside of me, greater is he that is in me. I'm just looking for a couple of legends in the house today. Just realize, I know he's going after my mind. So if I want things around me to be transformed, I've got to renew. I've got to renew. Change the way that I'm thinking. Change the way that I'm reacting. Come on, somebody. If this is a head fight, then why are you always letting your heart lead the way? Why are we so engrossed with our feelings and our emotions when this is a head-butting contest between us and Satan? Ultimately, you know what Scripture tells us? It says to be sober. To be alert. Why? Because your adversary, your enemy, the devil, 
He's roaming. He's roaring like a lion. Not that he is one. He's a serpent. He's a liar. But like a lion, seeking who he can devour, encircling you just like I was doing with Pastor Tyrus and Tyson, trying to get you to believe things about God and about you, literally slandering God's power, God's love in your life, trying to get you convinced this is how things are always going to be. Nothing's going to change. Why do I even try? Come on, you know you felt these things. What's the sense of getting up and going to church today? All the pastor's going to do is he's going to spit and yell and holler at me, but I'm still going to leave the way I came in. You feel these things. You sense these things. The battle for your mind. And understand that all battles between good and evil, they're always battles to the death. Satan's not going to ease up. It's a battle to the death. He wants your eternal soul to rot in hell forever. It's a battle to the eternal death. This is what he is all about. And here's the wonderful thing about this battle. You get to decide, will I let evil destroy me or am I going to rise up and destroy the evil? Understand in Scripture, this happens time and time again. The Garden of Eden is, our, is really the prime example the enemy goes after the mind, after the understanding about God. He attacks, and what ends up happening? Who cares about the snow? How, whatever, right? It's all good. What ends up happening? They, they give in to the evil, and evil wins. But that isn't where it stops, praise God. Because as we keep looking throughout Scripture, the whole story of David and Goliath, Goliath slandering and going after the mind, but David decides, I'm going to defeat evil. In the, in the New Covenant, John the Baptist, he's, he's preaching, but what ends up happening ultimately is he's imprisoned and he loses his head. He might have lost, the, if you will, the, the, the mind game, the, the fight over, over will, if you will. He, he loses his head, but that's not where the story ends because we know that Jesus faces the enemy head on and Satan tries to convince him half truths about the word of God. But Jesus, who knows the word, he knows the Father, comes back with the word and ultimately wins the battle of good and evil. Because it really is all about life or death. The battle for your mind is about life and death. Here's what I believe today. Every victory we have, every victory we see, whether I have it yet, it starts here. I have to visualize it in my mind. I have to see it in my mind. Come on, somebody today. You, you've been places right here that you've yet to go. You have things right here that are not yet in your possession. Come on, child of God. But you know that today the victory begins right here in my mind. I just feel like telling the devil today, I've changed my mind. Come on, if you believe a lie long enough, tell the devil I've changed my mind. If you've been oppressed, depressed, suppressed, for, devil, I've changed my mind. Changed my mind. I told you last week, symbolically in, in Scripture, the head represents government. The head represents authority. It leads. We talked about the, the whole reference with Eli, the high priest, who he would not correct his sons. He would not challenge them on their sins. He called them out, but he let them continue to live the way they were. What ends up happening in scriptures, they take the Ark of the Covenant into battle. They lose the Ark. They lose their lives. The Ark is now gone. And Eli, when he hears the news, the, the, the Ark of God's Covenant has been taken. The Bible tells us he was the head of Israel. He falls over in his chair and breaks his neck. 
loses his head. Biblically, anytime a head is removed, there is a shift in authority, a shift in power. So when Eli breaks his neck, a shift happens, and Samuel steps into place and becomes the head of the nation of Israel. In the New Covenant, the Bible tells us God was silent for over 400 years. And there's a man who shows up in the wilderness crying, repent for the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, repent and be baptized. What ends up happening is people by the multitudes come out to the wilderness to see this guy who's dressed like, like a crazy man, eating locusts and wild honey. They come out to the wilderness and they hear him preaching this gospel of repentance and they get baptized in water. And not just the lower class citizens, not just the, the people who make minimum wage or, or, or even the affluent, even the people with authority and power come out to listen to John as he's preaching this repentance. Ultimately, what we see in this story is Jesus himself comes to be baptized by John. John was literally becoming the head, the prophetic head of the nation of Israel. And here's what I do want you to know about John. He was ultimately imprisoned. Do you know why? Because he spoke out against the sins of the government. They threw him in prison because he dared to call out the sins of his government. I don't care what side of the debate you fall on concerning late-term abortion. I don't care what you think. I have one question for you. Just one question. Who was the first to receive Jesus? Think about it. Who was the first to receive Jesus? It was an unborn child sitting in the womb of his mother. Show them that picture real quick, sir. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 1, verse 41, that that baby may not have been moving for some time, but the moment Mary spoke... Elizabeth said, the child in my womb began to leap. The very first person to receive Jesus was not living and breathing the same air that we are. He was sitting. You can call him fetal tissue if you want to, but he was sitting in the womb. Now, I got it. This is a hot-button topic for some of you. I could care less. What I care about is what the Word of God says. And what we would call nothing more than tissue began to leap within the womb of his mother. Now, here's what I do know about late-term abortion. Not in every case. But what do they target when they look to kill, remove, end the pregnancy, whatever you want to call it? Most times they go straight for the, the poison is injected. Now I got it. I'm getting off on a tangent here. And you think I'm taking a political position on issues that I should have no right speaking about. But John the Baptist understood something. I wasn't aborted in the womb. I mattered then. I was the first to acknowledge Jesus still in the womb. 
I'm the first to acknowledge him when he shows up on the scene. And I say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So if necessary, I will point out sin wherever I see it. That's my mandate as a prophet. That's my calling. That's what I'm here to do. No matter who's committing the atrocity, I will call it out. I don't care if you turn the lights on top of of the World Trade Center pink. It doesn't matter to me. If it's sin, I will call it out. Now, while you're debating within yourself whether or not you want to come back to this church, here's what you got to understand. John called out the sins of his government. And for it, he was imprisoned. But you know what Jesus said about him? There was no one greater born of woman than John. No one greater. But in heaven, he don't even compare it to the, the least of them. You got to know John was powerful. John was anointed. John had a mandate. John was the head. But something happens in scripture. A shift begins to take place. John starts saying something like this in in actually the book of John chapter 3 verse 30. He says he must increase. Speaking about Jesus. I must decrease. He must increase. I must decrease. I've been preaching repentance. I've been baptizing people in the wilderness. I gave up my time and my life. I give up my energy. My daddy was a priest in the temple. I'm out here in the wilderness preaching repentance, and I'm more effective in the wilderness than my daddy ever was in the temple, but none of that matters because he must increase. I must decrease. And when does the shift happen? Just keep reading your Bible. Matthew chapter 14. The Bible tells us that Herod had John beheaded. A shift is taking place. It's not always good sometimes. But in order for him to increase, I must decrease. I must stop acting like the head of my own life. I must, come on, I just need a little bit of help. I must decrease. He must increase. I've got to step back and like I've got all the answers. Like I know, like I can figure everything out. Like I don't need any help. Like I'm an island unto myself. I must decrease so that the head can increase in my life. The shift took place. And John, who was the head, is now removed. But Jesus steps in place as the head. Recognized by Pilate as such before he has him crucified. Who do you say? Who are you? Are you the king? Are you the son of God? You say that I am? There it is. Over the top of his cross, he makes it very clear. This is Jesus, the king, the head of the Jews. Jesus himself. Jesus himself. Now the head, the authority. John is gone. Jesus is the power. Jesus is the government. Jesus is the lead. A shift had to happen. 
making you sense in your own life today? God is trying to shift some things. The reason you keep hitting your head is because you haven't made him. You haven't made him the head. Let me, let me shift for just a moment to this, and then I'll finish up. Everybody's familiar with the story of David and Goliath. Yes? Anyone not heard it before? I have no idea who David or Goliath are. I'll take you over to CIA after church, and we'll, we'll walk through the story. Here's the point, whether you know the story or not. Here's the point. This epic battle did not begin in the Valley of Ella. It began in the Garden of Eden. As I told you, the serpent shows up, and he manipulates the truth. Adam and Eve fall into sin. Ultimately now, the rest of mankind is born into sin. So the battle started when a scaly figure shows up and slanders the name of God. Ultimately, sin happens. And now we're left wondering what's, what's going to happen next. But God promises a seed will come, and that seed will crush the head of the serpent. So this battle that we see between David and Goliath actually takes place in the very beginning. Because the Bible tells us this about Goliath. When he shows up on the scene, his armor is like scales, like serpent scales. One of the primary gods of the Philistines was a serpent. They worshiped this god. They, they dressed like this god. They adored this god. So Goliath shows up looking like a serpent. And mind you, okay, he's six cubits. He has six articles of, of armor. And there's some other six, I can't remember right off the top of my head, thrown in there, but there's the number of man. Six, six, six that Goliath wears. Everything about this monstrosity of, of, a, of a being is huge and overwhelming and scary. But if you know the story, even though Goliath is dressed in armor that's shaped like a snake, the seed... The seed shows up and says, how dare this uncircumcised Philistine defy the armies of the living God? And David grabs not armor, not a sword and a spear and a javelin. He grabs a stone and a sling and he opens up his mouth and he declares, I don't care how you come at me. I come at you in the name of the Lord of hosts. And he throws that rock. And the Bible tells us, just like he will crush the head of the serpent, this rock hits Goliath right in the head. And just like the serpent is forced to crawl on his belly, he falls to the ground to eat the dust. And just like that head is going to be crushed by the seed, David runs over and removes his own sword, Goliath's sword, and beheads the mammoth beast. And then ultimately, he carries that head someplace. Now we know that David's not the promised seed. That's Jesus, the one born of a woman. But I want to show you real quick what the Bible ultimately tells us, okay? Because against the serpent, the seed is always going to win. I'll say it again. Against the serpent, the seed is always going to win. 
My God, this is why I took some time a bit ago to tell you about your tithe and your offering, your seed. Against the lion serpent, your seed is always going to win. Can I just say prophetically, your children, those who come after you, those who come from you, against the serpent, your seed are going to win in the name of Jesus. Here's what's so amazing. Yeah, because here's what gets interesting to me. Jesus is born of the seed of a woman. But he dies on a hill called Golgotha. Now, Golgotha was located outside the city walls of Jerusalem. And Golgotha symbolized something. The word itself, Golgotha, it's kind of hard to say. It, it's almost in, an unintelligible word. And we know based off what all four gospel accounts tell us, Golgotha means the place of the skull. It means the skull. Now, there's been this debate among scholars for almost 3,000 years, if you will, since the time of David, and really since the time of Jesus, if you will, this place called Golgotha. Why? Why did Jesus have to die at a place called Golgotha? Where did this name come from? Here's what we know. David kills Goliath. Then in 1 Samuel 17, it tells us that he ran, stood over the Philistine, took the Philistine's sword, drew it out of the sheath, and slew him and cut off his head. And the Philistines, seeing that their champion was dead, fled. And the children of Israel, returning after they pursued the Philistines, fell upon their camp. They literally plundered it. And now here it is. And David, taking the head of the Philistine, brought it to Jerusalem. If you understand what victors would do in this time period, often they would decapitate their foes, and then they would literally set their head up on top of a hill so that everyone could see your champion has been defeated. Okay? Now, here's the crazy thing to me. At this time, the city of Jerusalem, where David brings Goliath's head, is actually occupied by David's enemies. They're called Jebusites. Okay? They occupy the city of Jerusalem. So David takes Goliath's head because he's trying to serve notice to his enemies, you're next. Somebody, just for a moment, help me serve notice on every enemy that has come against your finances, every enemy that has come against your marriage, every enemy that has come against your health, every enemy that has served notice against every enemy that has come against your children, against your calling. Serve notice today against every enemy just so you know I've got one victory. I'm about to get another. I'm coming for you. You're next. Sickness, you're next. Disease, you're next. Heartbreak, you're next. Depression, you're next. Racism, you're next. Hatred, you're next. Every one of these things. I'm serving notice. You're next. You're next. David takes the head of Goliath and I believe he puts it on top of his hill for everyone inside of the city to know I'm coming for you. Ultimately, the head probably gets buried there. Now, there are different thoughts that Golgotha is referred to the place of the skull because somewhere on the side of the mountain, if you will, you can see a face. But nobody actually knows where this hill is actually located anymore. So we can guess at things. Here's what I just kind of have come to think over the course of time. Why name Golgotha the place of the skull? Unless Hebrew etymology takes the word Goliath of Gath and how words change over time and how they grow over time and 
in over a thousand years, Israel was removed from their nation and brought back and removed and brought back and, and things begin to change. But something about Goliath of Gath still kind of sounds like Golgotha. I'm just thinking out loud. Come on, just, just come with me for just a moment. Okay? I'm just thinking out loud. Goliath, Goliath kind of sounds like kind of sounds like Golgotha, if you will. So it's likely that this place isn't just the place of any old school. It's more like this place is the place of the serpent warrior, Goliath. Now, here's what's so amazing to me. 1,000 years later, another seed, the greater seed, the seed born of a virgin. David's name means beloved. God looked at him when he came up out of that water and said, this is my beloved son and whom I am well pleased Oh, my God. Not just any warrior, but the champion himself. He shows up on the scene, and he was crucified at a place called the Skull, just outside the city of Jerusalem. And on that very hill, his feet are pierced with nails. I believe taking it all the way back symbolically and prophetically to Genesis chapter 3 to be the fulfillment that my feet would be bruised, would be pierced by his head. Oh, oh my God. But the remainder of the prophecy is fulfilled when Jesus is dying on that cross. His feet are pierced, but then they have to lift that cross up over the head of his enemies. Elevate him above everything else. See, he just ain't dying on the ground. He has to be lifted up to be shown that though you can pierce my heel, my foot is meant to be above you. My authority is meant to be above you. And literally the head is then jammed into a place known as the skull. You've got to know that every one of your enemies are already under his I said the head has authority because every one of your enemies are under his feet. I need somebody to take a moment right now and rejoice in this simple fact. I don't care how big Goliath is. I don't care how he slander your God. It doesn't matter what he's trying to make you believe. You've got to know Jesus Christ was elevated even over the head of your enemy. Every serpent, every warring demon had to look up and see the head was brought to a head, the place of the skull. And anytime heads show up, there's a shifting of government and authority and power that begins to happen. And at one time I was distant from God and I didn't have a voice. But Jesus, the head, showed up in my place. And he who knew no sin became sin that I might become the righteousness of God. This is why I shout. This is why I dance. This is why I praise. Because at one time I was an enemy of God. But God demonstrated his love for me while I was a sinner. Christ died for me. And today, today, the head has all authority. I said, Jesus, the head has all authority. Come on, I need you to make these last few minutes just worth your time right now. Jesus has all authority. He is the head. He is above he has been elevated. 
He is seated at the right hand of God far above all principalities and powers. And if he's the head, then I'm the body. As long as I remain connected to the head. That means I can go where he goes. I can have what he has. I can be where he... There are things that have literally tried to overwhelm you. That Jesus was elevated so they could remain beneath you. That old nature that keeps trying to rise up inside you. Jesus was elevated so that your sinful nature could remain beneath you. Doesn't matter what they say about you. How they try to treat you. Jesus was elevated so you could be seated with him in heavenly places. I just want to ask some people just for a moment just to lift their hands with a heart full of gratitude today. Say thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Every one of my enemies have to look up at Jesus. Every serpent in their scaly armor literally is under his feet. No matter how they slander, no matter how they hate, no matter how they come against me, they're all under the feet of my king. And a shift begins to happen when I understand I am the head and not the tail. I am above and not beneath. I am more than a conqueror. I can overcome anything that comes against me. I really am seated with Jesus in heavenly places. You've got to know it. This is why I start with this whole premise. You've got to let your mind be renewed. My God, too many of you have bought into what the media sold you for years. You bought into this ideology that has literally saturated American culture. You no longer think biblically. You think according to your feelings. You think according to propaganda. You think according to what you've been told and taught from universities, but you don't think with the scriptures. When the Bible tells you, if you really want to know what the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God for you is for your life, it isn't about the degrees that hang on your wall. It isn't about how well you can speak and argue your points. Ultimately, you have to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Am I doing all right? If everyone can't stand your feet with me here today. If you can, if you're able, stand your feet. And if you don't like what I'm saying, I love you. There's the door. Be safe going home. That's kingly stuff right there. That's what my dad would say. You got you to gotta know him for it to be funny. I got it. Okay. A shift happens when the head is removed. When the head is elevated, a shift happens. You know how I know this is is still happening today? Because when Jesus comes back from the dead, he hangs out with his disciples for 40 days, showing them multiple times, yo, I'm not a ghost. (laughs) Yo, you're not tripping on something. This is not a hallucination. Okay, I'm here. I was dead, but now I'm alive. 
I am the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. I am that I am. He shows these things to his disciples over 40 days. And then you know what happens? As they're sitting there talking, he says, go and wait in Jerusalem. A shift is coming. And right in front of their eyes, the head begins to ascend into the heavens. Now the angels show up. And you know what they see? They see the body still looking for the head. And they say, yo, in the same manner that he ascended, he's coming back. So go and do what he told you to do. And the Bible tells us a shift began to happen on the day of Pentecost when they were in one mind and one accord and in one place. The Bible says a shift began to happen when he who ascended then sent his spirit to be the head to reveal to my head and your head the mind of our Father, the Holy Spirit, down like fire and sat upon the heads y'all don't hear me pastor times they don't really hear me I'm hooping and howling and losing my voice but they don't really hear me because you've got what I just told you you're waiting whoa, for supernatural power to intervene to protect you when ultimately ultimately what was my problem? I wasn't using <laughs> if I would just if I would just use my my, my head I got saved right there. I'm looking for God to always show up and do something for me, to intervene, to bring me out of it, rescue me, protect me, bless me. You know what God's telling you? Then start using. Pastor, I thought we were supposed to walk by faith and not by sight. Absolutely. But you know who is looking? The author and the finisher of my faith. Because sometimes in life, I am going to have to take some steps of faith. So if I keep looking unto Jesus, I said if I keep looking unto my head, Jesus, come on somebody, just for a moment in your spirit, realize I am walking by faith and not by sight because I got my eyes fixated on my head, Jesus Christ. And I know he's going to lead me in paths of righteousness. I know the blessings of God are going to overtake me. Not because I'm demanding them or hoping for them or looking for them, but I'm fixated on my Savior. And he's going to lead me into a place of protection. Lead me into a place of provision. Lead me into a place of overflow. If I keep my... My eyes on the head. I'm going to close the service. But I feel the Spirit of God saying there are people in this room that are ready for a shift. Literally, if you will, a beheading of your old ways. A, be a beheading, if you will, of your old mindset. 
your old thinking, your old passions, a removal of what used to be the governing authority in your life. But now you are saying there's a new head that is taking place in my life. There's a shift I can sense in my spirit. Whoever this is for all over this room, just come on down to this altar right now. Come on. The shift is happening in your spirit. Come on. Come on. That's it. Come on. That's it. That's it. That's it. The shift is happening in your spirit. Come on. Somebody praise God with me that these people are hearing the Lord today. They're, they're knowing a shift is happening. Hallelujah. Come on, come on, come on close. Come on close. Come on. Come on. The shift is happening. Woo, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hear me now. Hear me now. By the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of God is saying today that a replacement isn't just what's necessary. It's removal. 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 Replacement means I could replace it again. Spirit of God saying a total removal of the old ways, of the old thoughts, of the old habits, a total removal of where you thought you were going, what you thought was supposed to be your direction, what you thought was supposed to be the outcome. God is saying here today, and this is why you sense it. Son, daughter, you're getting ready to shift into a whole new level of authority, a whole new level of honor, a whole new level of prosperity, a whole new level of victory. This shifting is happening already before I said a word. It's already going on. God has been at work in your life. All I'm here to do today is tell you something has got to be removed completely. I know there's still more people sensing this. Come on. Come on. A shift is happening in your spirit. This, that's it. Come on. These things are being removed. Come on. God is doing it today. God is at work today. He is faithful. He is just today. He is literally, literally calling out every one of those things that have been the head, the authority, the governing power in your life and saying it's time to see them removed. Removed. Not replaced, removed. Removed. My God. My God. My God. Now, I'm not going to go through any kind of ritual here. But in your spirit right now, you declare, I am crucified with Christ. That's it. My old ways. My old habits. My old thought process. I am crucified with Christ. And yet, I live. And the life I now live, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. He is my head. Everything else is removed. He is my head. Father, right now, you hear the words and the cry of your children. Today, a shifting is happening in our spirits. Right now, I feel by faith, giants are coming down. Literally, they are coming down. I, I, 
I want you by faith right now just to, just to sling the cornerstone. Not just any rock. You sling that chief cornerstone by faith. And you're coming down, enemy. You're coming down, pain. You're coming down, lack. You're coming down, anger. You're coming down, sin. You're coming down, haters. You're coming down, doubt. You're coming down, hopelessness. You're coming down, depression. You're coming down, anxiety. You're coming down. You're coming down. Coming down. Coming down. By faith, David threw a rock. I have the chief cornerstone, and he beheads everyone of my enemies that rise against me. I'm not trying to get you hyped up. I'm trying to get you by faith to see something. He's the head. He's the head. Things are changing right now and shifting right now in your minds as you allow him the place a prominence, prestige, honor. Put him on the throne in your mind. He's already there with the Father, but he needs to be on the throne of your heart and your mind. Jesus, the head, the king, the king, the king. Thank you for listening to this week's message on the Impact Church Aurora podcast. Please feel free to subscribe, rate, and review. For more information or to give, please visit us at www.impactchurchaurora.com. Now, go out into the world and continue making an impact.